listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. You are listening to Beyond the SIG, a prescription for transformative pharmacy care. Season 2 of Beyond the SIG is supported by the Pennsylvania Department of Health in partnership with the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association. Funding was provided through the Preventative Health and Health Services Block Grant from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The contents of this podcast are solely the responsibility of the presenters and do not necessarily represent the official views of the Pennsylvania Department of Health or the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association's podcast, Beyond the SIG, is a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the second season of the Beyond the SIG podcast, giving a shot about diabetes. My name is Isabel Litvak, and of course, I'm hosting today's podcast with my amazing co-host, Rachel Hay. We are really excited about today's episode and our guest in particular, and we are fangirling because we have seen her present multiple times. So we'd like to welcome Dr. Diana Isaacs, who is a remote monitoring program coordinator and endocrinology clinical pharmacy specialist at Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Isaacs earned her bachelor's degree in chemistry from the University of Illinois at Chicago, her doctor of pharmacy degree from Southern Illinois, and completed her residency at the Philadelphia VA Medical Center. Dr. Isaacs holds board certifications in pharmacotherapy, ambulatory care, and advanced diabetes management. She serves on the American Diabetes Association Professional Practice Committee, the committee that updates the ADA standards of care, and the National Board for the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. She advocates access to the latest technologies and therapeutics for all people with diabetes and speaks on diabetes-related topics nationally and internationally. Dr. Isaacs is a fellow in AS. ADCES and the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. Thank you so much, Diana, for coming on today. We are so excited to have you. Well, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So as we like to get started with some background, so tell us a little bit on how you started with diabetes management and kind of what sparked that interest in diabetes education. Well, it really started when I was a pharmacy student. So I had amazing, amazing faculty and they were passionate about diabetes. And I remember participating in several health fairs, uh, being involved with the American Pharmacists Association, Operation Diabetes, and just seeing how much of a difference we could make, you know, just going to these health fairs and checking people's glucose levels and educating about diabetes. It was really, I just felt like I could make a difference. And then learning about the different medications in that area, just really, really enjoyed it. So that led me to pursue residency where I really focused on ambulatory care with diabetes management. So I did residency at the VA where that was, you know, we saw a lot of diabetes. And then um, as I got my first job, which was actually as faculty at Chicago State University. And then uh, my practice site was at another VA, the Heinz VA, doing a lot of diabetes. And I was in a primary care clinic. 
And that was where I was able to get my hours to be able to sit for the exam for the certified diabetes educator, which now is the diabetes care and education specialist and the board certification and, and just really kind of build up my expertise with that. So um, I don't have one of those like heartwarming stories like, oh, I have a parent or a child or a sibling with diabetes. I mean, of course I have like relatives with type two diabetes because now it's everywhere. Um, but it was really just the learning and making a difference. And now of course, 11, over 11% of the population does have diabetes. So uh, it's very prevalent and it's a really just great opportunity to make a difference. Thank you for sharing your background about diabetes. I definitely relate to you, um, although I don't have any family members or friends with diabetes. Um, similar to your story, I definitely um, saw my interest for diabetes spark when I was in pharmacy school, getting involved with student orgs and um, shadowing some of my um, the preceptors that I was at at the rotation sites that I was at. So um, I can definitely relate to you. Um, can you kind of fast forward to now and tell us what your current role is as a pharmacist? Well, sure. And I'm just thinking now, of course, I have tons of friends with diabetes. Now that I've like been in this space for a while, I actually have tons of friends with type 1 diabetes. Like recently at two conferences, I roomed with people, lots of people that had type 1 diabetes. So it's almost like um, you attract them, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of people with diabetes actually go into diabetes management. So that's where you start to meet more of them. But yeah, so anyway, back to your question about current role as a pharmacist. So I have, I love my job. I have a really interesting role. Um, so I work with outpatient adults in an endocrinology clinic at Cleveland Clinic. And uh, in my role, I have a collaborative practice agreement that allows me to be able to basically prescribe and adjust medications as well as new technologies. Um, one of my clinics is like a post-kidney transplant clinic where people are on these high doses of steroids and uh, have either have steroid-induced diabetes or had pre-existing diabetes, and I'm helping to adjust those insulin doses. And now we have a program where we even put um, almost all of them on CGM, continuous glucose monitors, a discharge, which makes it even more fun to make those adjustments because we have tons of data, data points now to make those adjustments. I also do a lot of management in pregnancy. So I'm currently, um, yeah, I manage a lot of women with either gestational diabetes or pre-existing type one or type two diabetes in pregnancy. Uh, and that's fun because that's often like weekly management of just trying to titrate the doses to make sure they meet their glucose targets. And then I also, we have a lot of shared medical appointments um, in our program. So we have ones for weight management, and then we also have ones for continuous glucose monitoring. And then I am an insulin pump trainer for all of the different insulin pumps. So I train on insulin pumps as well as, um, I love kind of making the adjustments to pumps uh, to like kind of tweak things and know the little ins and outs to really best be able to support people. And um, those are most of the things in my day job. Um, I also love research and stuff too. So like we have a grant to study CGM and pregnancy and gestational diabetes actually, because believe it or not, there's not a lot of information out there in true gestational diabetes. Um, but anyway, in addition to that, I call that like my day job. I also do a lot of, like I love presenting 
uh, giving presentations, different professional meetings, and then do uh, consulting for several companies, um, just different advisory boards and different uh, like um, speakers bureaus and things like that. Well, yeah, that's how we found out about you. <laughs> we sat awesome. in on um, your talk at APHA, and I think there was another talk that I heard you speak at about CGMs too. So, and I've only been in my residency for a year, and I've already seen you two times. <laughs> awesome! Great. <laughs> All right. Well, as you know, this podcast is mainly about DSMES, so diabetes, self-management, and education. And uh, one of the modules within there is monitoring. And that's why we wanted to have you come on because you are like the monitoring expert when it comes to continuous glucose monitoring. So can you walk us through some high-level information on what a diabetes educator, whether it's a pharmacist or an RN, um, a dietitian might need to know about CGM or what maybe a patient might need to know that would be beneficial in terms of monitoring? Yeah, great question. So I believe CGM will eventually become standard of care. Of course, many patients are still using traditional blood glucose meters, but as the cost is really coming down and access is improving, we're seeing more and more patients on CGM. So I guess for starters, we have two types. We really, we have professional CGM, which is owned by the clinic and essentially lent out on a short-term basis to a person with diabetes, usually anywhere from seven to 14 days. And honestly, this is a great, great option for someone that doesn't have insurance coverage or maybe someone who's managed with lifestyle or just with oral medications. It's a great tool where they can wear this device for two to four times a year, which is usually covered through their insurance and learn from the information. Um, versus personal CGM is owned by the person with diabetes and generally worn on a long-term basis. Both provide amazing data. Uh, professional CGM can be worn in a blinded or unblinded way, meaning if it's blinded, they're not seeing their data while they're wearing it, but once it's downloaded, you see everything. Personal is always unblinded. You want the person to be able to see their, their data all the time. And the advantage of unblinded data is that you the person can get alerts. So most of these devices will alert for high or low glucose values, which can be customized. And this is a great role for that diabetes care and education specialist to work with the person with diabetes to customize these alerts. Because what you don't want to have happen is someone says, oh gosh, this thing is beeping at me all night long. I'm ready to throw it away. And that happens sometimes when we don't customize it. And that high alert is set for like 180, which is really easy if you have diabetes to hit 180. Um, so we really want to work with the person to be able to customize those. There is so much education that you can do through CGM and just understanding how different foods impact glucose levels, how physical activity, the effects of it. I mean, normally we expect activity will bring it down, but sometimes with really intense activity or strength training, it actually goes up. Uh, initially, uh, sometimes people learn like coffee, for example, black coffee for some people will spike their glucose levels. I had a patient the other day tell me how a certain brand of Apple she learned spikes her, but the other brands don't spike her. So there really truly is so much you can learn from this data. And I think by if you compare the data that you get from CGM 
through uh, through some of the dietary patterns, like through keeping a food log, or there's mobile apps now where you can even take pictures of your food. Uh, that is awesome. And then it really leads into a powerful conversation that ultimately will lead to improved outcomes and increasing that time spent in that target range. That's amazing. I didn't even think about the fact that food, we could see what how food affects their body and how it affects their blood sugar through CGM. I've always thought about, you know, the the classic glucometer. So I think it's really cool that they're able to do that. And, you know, they could scan their arm all they want, all day, every day, if they yeah. want to. So that's a nice right. touch. You can really see... Um... Yeah. Through, so there's intermittently scan CGM where you can see the engagement. You can see how someone's scanning and then also real time CGM where it's just kind of that number is always available regardless of scanning or not. Yeah. There's so many really cool options. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, I just have to say, I think your practice sounds so interesting. And just while you were speaking, I thought of so many questions. Um, but I think it would be super um, interesting to our listeners if you could kind of just talk a little bit more of some of the barriers or the challenges that have come up while managing someone with CGM or trying to initiate a patient on CGM. And, you know, what are the helpful things that you've done to be able to overcome? overcome these barriers? Yeah, so it, it really depends. Sometimes some people you present this option of wearing this device and it monitors and they don't have to do finger sticks and they're like, yes, sign me up. I really want this. But that's not the case for everyone. Uh, some people are sometimes suspicious. They're like, I don't want to wear a device all the time. Are people going to see it? It's summer. I want to wear sleeveless shirts. Like I don't want someone seeing what's on my arm. So you really have to take that into consideration. So depending on the barrier, there's different solutions. If one of them is I don't want people to know I have diabetes, well, then finding a spot on the body that will be discreet is going to be really important. And even though the devices have their FDA approved sites, clinicians can use their clinical judgment to determine is a, another site going to be better? Is the leg going to be better in this situation? Is the abdomen going to be better than the arm because of either scar tissue or someone just wants something more discreet? Also, if discreteness is important, the alarms are really important that it doesn't go off too easily. And fortunately, most alarms you can turn off the exception is there is one that's like 55 that with phone devices, you can't turn that off. So just letting people be aware of that. Generally, that's a good one to have on because if you hit 55, you know, you, you want someone to know. But you can turn many of them off and just making sure people understand how to turn them off uh, if they want to. The other big one that comes up is people say, gosh, I don't think this is accurate. I had someone say this to me today. I don't think this is accurate. I check with a finger stick and it's different. And so I asked this person today, well, what happens when you check with a finger stick? And he's like, oh, it's 20 or 40 points different. So some education about this concept called lag time, that if glucose is rising or dropping quickly, there's going to be a difference. So CGM is actually measuring interstitial fluid. BGM is measuring capillary glucose. So they, they're different components. The capillary is more up to date, but the interstitial fluid is going to lag behind that a little bit. So you can think of it like a roller coaster. If the front of the roller coaster is going up, the back of the roller coaster is going to catch up to it. Also, I try for people to understand that meters are not perfect either. 
there actually can be up to 15% um, variance from like a true Venus lab value. And so, and even there was a study showing that like, you know, a like over only a third of meters even met that criteria, right? So meters aren't perfect. Um, it's all kind of an estimate. So if it's a little bit different, that is okay. And that often can really give people the confidence to trust the readings and really be able to trust the trends in it. Um, and then the other thing that is so important is that people understand what their target values are. Because you could have the best technology, the most accurate device in the world. But if someone doesn't know what their goals are, it's kind of meaningless. And so really discussing, well, what are those pre-meal targets? You know, 80 to 130 for, for most. What is that post-meal, that one to two hours after eating, trying to stay under 180? And this concept, which is new for a lot of people, time and range. Optimizing that time spent between 70 and 180, for most people trying to spend 70% or more in that range, which I find to be motivating because we're not asking for 100%. We are asking for 70% and generally that will lead to good clinical outcomes and usually it, it correlates very well with an A1C under 7%. So those are kind of some of the barriers and how I overcome them. Is there something in particular that you know about to help patients afford CGM? Because I know that most likely the most common question that we would get from this podcast is about cost. Yeah, so that depends. I did work with the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists on some cost savings toolkits. And there's one, there is one for technology for CGM, although I, I believe we do need to update it because the, the in this space, things do change very rapidly. What we know is that um, each, so there's four manufacturers of CGM. There's Medtronic, there's Eversense, um, Essentia makes Eversense. There's the Freestyle Libre made by Abbott and there's Dexcom. So if you go to each of the manufacturer's websites, they usually have some type of programs that are available. Um, beyond that though, like we know, for example, for Medicare patients, people with Medicare, there's certain criteria that you need to meet to qualify. And then when you qualify, usually you will have coverage for it. And so that includes being on multiple administrations of insulin. So usually three or more. They did change it about a year ago. It used to be three or more injections a day, and now it's administrations, which the reason that's important is because that means if you have patients on inhaled insulin on a Prezza, they would qualify. Also, they got rid of, at that point last year, those four finger sticks a day, which was such a barrier to obtaining CGM because Medicare only provided three test strips a day. You had to get a prior off exactly. to even get four a day. And so often that was like the reason we could not get CGM for people. So that was a huge, huge deal. And so patients that meet that criteria, the key is you have to go the DME route. You have to go through durable medical equipment. You cannot just send the prescription to the pharmacy, even though that would be easier. Um, you can't do that because it won't be covered that way. You have to go through a DME company. I've recently started using Parachute, which is an online, a very secure online portal, which you can enter in the documentation. Honestly, it takes me less than five minutes to do that and you can pick the DME you want it to go to. And let's say it ends up being, oh, this DME doesn't cover it, they'll let you know, and then you can just quickly resend it to another. So that's kind of really facilitated that. Beyond that, we do know the Libre, it's, it, it tends to be lower cost if you're just paying purely 
out of pocket for it. And there are good RX cards or single care cards that often if people take it to the pharmacy, if they have, let's say commercial insurance or they're cash paying, they take it to the pharmacy, these cards can bring it down. Also, Libre has a program where if you have commercial insurance, it won't be more than $75 a month. Now, granted, that still can be too much for people. Uh, so I've gotten creative in my practice also about, well, how can we, maybe we don't have to wear CGM all the time. Like if you wear one sensor a month instead, or you wear it before your office visit, like some CGM is better than no CGM, right? So kind of, if you have to pay $75 a month, maybe, you wear just one sensor a month or one every other month and you kind of you spread it out a little bit. Also, there are samples, at least Dexcom and Libre provide samples in the office. Um, so if your practice allows you to take those samples, that's great because then you can kind of use that. And I found that to work well, especially if someone like, I don't know, they run short of their sensors, like you do have some way to hold them over. But also the other thing is if someone is getting their prescription and they have a sensor error, let's say it falls off early or it just doesn't work, you should advise them to call the company to get a replacement. The companies are great about that and it's they're not gonna be able to get a refill early. So they should definitely do that so they don't end up running out too soon. I love the creativity there with, you know, maybe just wearing it the week before an appointment to kind of gauge what's been happening most recently in order to change therapy. So that's really cool. And um, I've seen a lot of patients do like the GoodRx thing too and the durable medical equipment. So those are really great tips. And um, I hope our listeners out there found that really helpful. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times when patients get referred to DSMES classes, they are just newly diagnosed with diabetes. And I remember hearing at one of your talks how in your practice you like to initiate patients who are just recently diagnosed with diabetes on professional CGM, you know, that short term seven to 14 days of CGM. I was wondering if you could talk more about how you, you know, use that CGM data and information to educate patients who are newly diagnosed with diabetes. Yeah, so I am a big fan of like CGM right away, right? There's so much learning that can happen. And also it makes diabetes education more fun because it becomes really personal because you've collected this like very personal data that now you can look at. So I like to do this in classes. And what we find is we download people's CGM data and we put it on a big screen so we can look at it, but there's a lot of similarities. So like one common example is like, what do you do if you go low? How do you treat it? So we teach about like the rule of 15, like 15 grams of fast acting carbs and recheck in 15 minutes. A lot of times in the moment, that's a hard thing to do. And you see situations where people take it like the rule of 50, five zero, and they they have 50 grams of carbs. And you see what happens, like they go up to 300 instead of rising, you know, by a little bit. So those are commonalities that we can really learn from and stress, oh, well, this is why we say rule of 15. Also, one of the classic examples is like the breakfast. So the typical American breakfast of like cereal, oatmeal, that we think is healthy because it's like fortified with all these vitamins and minerals, but really it's just like processed garbage that just spikes you up to infinity. So 
it <laughs> like we try to tell people that, but they're like, oh no, it's like cereal. It's like oatmeal's healthy. So you you compare. You, you ask them, okay, eat your cereal or oatmeal one day, and then try to eat like eggs the next day, right? And like classically, you see the days they eat cereal, like they're spiking over 300, and then they have eggs with like toast, and they don't, that doesn't happen. They stay closer, they stay more in range. So there is just so much learning. It takes all those pieces of the program and like puts it to life through experiential learning. So I am a, a big fan of doing that. That's so awesome. I appreciate you giving those examples, and I think it really shows them what food can do to their body and how it affects it and I think CGM is a really nice way to actually show that because nobody wants to prick their finger a million times to see every time that they eat a certain type of food what's going to happen Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely like we could ask someone to prick like seven times a day multiple days but even that we miss things and it's, it's really tough to do yeah so I was wondering if next you could talk about um, maybe the new technologies and innovations that are happening right now in diabetes management. And then also, where do you see the future of diabetes management and education going? Yes, there's so much cool stuff coming out. I mean, that's why I really got into diabetes technology when I came to Cleveland Clinic, because I saw that they had access to technology and it was a little bit initially being underutilized and I was like oh there's so much potential here and the like pharmacist could be a great person to implement this technology so in terms of kind of what's new and exciting so the Libre 3 just got FDA approval and so that builds kind of on the Libre 2 now it's real time it's fully real time so you don't have to scan to see your glucose but one of the cool things about it is you can still see user engagement so it still tracks, like one of the nice things, right, about Libre 2 and like the original is like, you can see how many times a day someone scans it. Yeah. So you can still see how many times a person's looking at it. Like, are they looking at it like once a day? Are they looking at it 50 times a day or somewhere in between? Which I think really facilitates a nice conversation. Also the MARD, the, which is just a marker of accuracy that continues to, to go lower, which means there's in theory better accuracy and then the size of it's even smaller so again for people that don't want like clunky things on their body now it's the size of two pennies instead of the size of two quarters and that will be launching in the very near near future um kind of limited at first but then expanding to wider access the other thing we anticipate soon is the dexcom g7 and that is available in europe now but we're waiting on fda approval in the u.s and that also is going to be much smaller and it's going to be more like a libre in terms of insertion where the full transmitter sensor is disposable so really increasing that ease of use but also each cgm has a a warm-up time that warm-up time for dexcom is being reduced from two hours with the g6 to 30 minutes with the g7 and they figured out a way where you could instead of like having to even wait the 30 minutes you can like put it on early and just alleviate any 30 minute warm-up at all it'll just be ready to go so there's no interruption why is that exciting well we also have automated insulin delivery we have hybrid closed loop insulin pumps that pair with these cgms to automate insulin delivery so you could imagine if you have this warm-up time where you don't have a cgm working that means you're not in the automated delivery so reducing that will 
further enhance these systems. And one of the very exciting things that happened earlier this year was the approval of Omnipod 5, which is a tubeless pump that pairs with the Dexcom G6 TGM to automate the insulin delivery. And more recently, the launch, it was like a limited launch, and now it's a wider launch. So that's a system a lot of my patients are now starting and uh, they're excited about because most pumps have tubing and this will not have tubing. Um, also, uh, the connected insulin pen space is very exciting. So we have InPen, which compare with the G6 CGM or the Guardian Connect from Medtronic. Um, and also we have Bigfoot Unity, which is a smart pen cap that can go on most disposable pens and it pairs with the Libre 2 CGM. And we are expecting later this year the Lily Tempo Pen will hopefully become available. And there's other products on the horizon too, like from Sanofi and from Novo Nordisk. So I get very excited about this space because the innovations just continue. I mean, they just continue to flourish. It is awesome. It's like, I always tell people, like if you have to have diabetes, like now's the best time to have it because we truly have like the best technology, the best devices that we've ever had before. Yeah, I mean, diabetes education and diabetes care in general has come so far, even within, you know, the last 10 years. There's so many new medications and so many new devices. So like you said, if you're going to have it now is probably the best time. It's there's so much out there that can that can help them, because I know we've had other guests on the podcast that were saying um, like a relative was diagnosed and there was so little options out there back then and that's what kind of inspired them to go into diabetes education and what they thought diabetes was back in the early 2000s is completely different than what it is now. Definitely. Yeah, I'm super excited to hear about the Libre 3. I had no idea that um, got approved. I knew the Dexcom G7 was in the works, but this is exciting. Exciting Very time exciting. to be part of this. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, well, I was wondering um, if you could maybe share some of your insights and, and advice um, with me and Isabel and for other new pharmacists who are, you know, just kind of getting into the field of diabetes management and diabetes education. Um, what advice do you have for new practitioners like our, like ourselves? Well, fortunately, there's a lot of great materials out there now. Um, that really can teach on the different technologies, like update you on the medications. I think one of the challenges is there's a lot of good things in different places. And it's like, where do you go to kind of your one-stop shop for everything? Um, I would definitely recommend, there's so many great professional organizations. So like American Pharmacists Association, for example, APHA, has they do a lot with diabetes and in fact there's even a diabetes special interest group so belonging to that i find through the discussion boards there's so many interesting topics they they show different cases they'll do journal clubs so it's like a great way to stay up to date a lot of times they'll they'll put on presentations so you can like pay attention to that also the association of diabetes care and education specialists adces I highly recommend belonging to that organization if you have an interest in diabetes. First of all, it's a lower cost. Like compared to most of my pharmacy organizations and just other organizations, it's way lower cost. So I feel like the value right there is phenomenal. But they also have tons of free continuing education in diabetes, which you'll need if you want to sit for these exams, you need some of that anyway. But so much good stuff. And they have a site called Dana Tech. 
D-A-N-A-T-E-C-H.org, which now they've even made free to non-members. And there, it's kind of like, it, it truly is meant to be your one-stop shop for all things diabetes technology. So you can learn about the different CGMs, the different pumps, um, all those different things. Also, one other resource that I really, really want to recommend is called um, diabeteswise.org. Uh, so it's diabetes and then wise, W-I-S-E. And they now even, there's a patient version, but there's also a healthcare professional version. And this is basically a way to help identify the right technology for the right person at the right time. But it's a non-industry sponsored site. It's actually funded through this charitable organization, the Helmsley Foundation. And that's important because we obviously, we want our information to be as non-biased as possible, to be objective as possible, to make sure we are offering our patients choices and we're not just steering them to one device that we happen to be familiar with. So that is also a great place. And as a clinician, it's a great place to become more familiar with the differences between the different technologies. Um, and then lastly, I'll just say, I have to say, oh, I don't have to say this, but as someone who works on the committee that updates the ADA standards of care, that is, oh, it's updated all the time. In fact, there's even living updates now, and there's an abridged version if you don't want to read the whole thing. So that really is like your tool to stay up to date on like what's new. And there's even like a nice little summary at the beginning of what's changed from year to year. So I highly, highly recommend going through that. I always tell my appy students that you need to have every single guideline on your desktop, but particularly the ADA, the abbreviated version is so perfect because you can find everything that you need quickly in like a glimpse. It's like 10 pages. It's perfect. And there's even a mobile app. Like it's so accessible. They make it's it easy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Diana. I think this was an amazing conversation. You provide so much insight into CGM. How can pharmacists or dietitians or anyone reach out to you for questions? Well, you can find me, uh, and thanks so much for having me. It's really been a pleasure talking with you both. You can find me on LinkedIn, Diana Isaacs. I'm also on Instagram. I'm on Twitter at Diana M. Isaacs. I actually have my own podcast now uh, through Endocrinology Network. It's called Diabetes Dialogue. I do it with Natalie Bellini, an amazing nurse practitioner. And so you can find it on any of your like main podcast channels as well. And I also have a website called diabetes-pharmacist.com. So between all of those, like you should be able to find me somewhere. And I'm always happy to you know answer questions and, and help people out. Perfect. Well, thank you for providing your information. Thank you so much, Dr. Diana Isaacs, for sharing so much of your insight and so much of your wisdom today about CGM. I know Rachel and I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you to everyone for tuning in to our DSMES series, Giving a Shot About Diabetes. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Beyond the SIG. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and others on the Pharmacy Podcast Network on any of your favorite podcast directories. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.